Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, July 18th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. If you go to the website at whyagain.org, click on the two words that say start here that you'll find in the upper hand upper left-hand corner of that page. It will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. It's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18, almost 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through that worksheet process. If you choose to listen to those, they can serve as a powerful tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefits from these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see a glowing heart icon. If you download that, that will let you have access to a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively engage in the use of these tools. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate 
You're doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and or sending us a phone uh, a message through email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. If you email us, we'll address your comment or question on the show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we were able to respond, and you can listen back to the archives for the feedback. Again, we appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service, and that's easy to do when we know how things are landing for you. So, again, if you're on the call, if you're listening live, you can call 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone, and we can have a conversation. I have, um, being that it's a Tuesday night, I have the job to remind us that there's a support group available tonight, absolutely free. If you want information about how to join us from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time through Zoom, all the information is available on a separate website. It's mindshiftersacademy.org. And there, on that website, there's one information page for the Tuesday group and a separate information page for the Thursday group. And we would be grateful if you would join us and or pass the information along to somebody you think might benefit from joining us. The community that's developed, the processing that happens in the community setting is beyond words for uh, ability to describe it. And so um, it's just another opportunity that we offer people to get maximum benefits from these tools. So how can we support you today? What's on your mind? What would be of use to spend this day? This hour, the first hour today. Um, If nobody puts a hand up, I will probably get back into reading from a walk in the physical, the book that is um, by Christian Sundberg that talks about a theory, a set of ideas about why we're here and what our job is to do here. And since the primary job they talk about for us is um, learning how to choose for love, and away from fear and have to hold our intention towards love. And since that is so similar to what is being talked about in A Course in Miracles and A Way of Mastery and Dr. Michael Rice's work, that I have chosen to share this book and these ideas And as so many of us know, in this last paragraph that I read in lesson or essay 140, 
being physical is not always easy. Dr. Rice was even talking about this yesterday again. He talks about how healing is not always Dr. Feelgood. And yet, it is purposeful. Well, just like healing, being physical is not always easy, but it is purposeful. And this paragraph says, when we choose to honor the physical experience by working with it, then we allow it to fulfill that purpose. And that is a wonderful thing, because despite all the apparent trauma and destruction, our universe universe is born from purposes of deep joy and love. And so when we work with it, we actually facilitate both our own joy and fulfillment and the great love plans that are beyond our personal comprehension. The next essay is titled, The In-Breath and Out-Breath of Life. And it reads, Consciousness sojourns from the unlimited and formless into form and then back again. After great journeys into the worlds of form, we often long to return home. We yearn to reconnect though that connection can never be truly lost. But we yearn to reconnect with the total limitlessness, the wonder, the love, and the freedom of our source. Then as the unlimited, then in our state of being once again aware of our connection to all that is unlimited, we may choose to follow our interest in expanding joy, creativity, and love once again by, quote, being something or coming into the physical again and having certain experiences. Our journey into concrete perspective is ultimately additive even when, and often especially when, a given journey is temporarily challenging. All that is thrives and expands through the process of creation. All that is rejoices in the capacity to experience things, to be things, to be evermore and to ever add to what is possible. You and I are that as well. You and I, including you and I as human personalities, are precious and deeply adored participants in this process. There is not an end point. The system of creation is an ever-expanding movement towards greater joy and love. That is ultimately not an arduous process, but a joyful one. And when it says ultimately, I think it means when we have the perspective that comes from being out of the physical realm then we see from that broader perspective 
how things fit together in a way that we cannot see from our limited human physical perspective. Just like they were talking about in a previous essay, paradox is not possible when you see the whole picture. Paradox is only a possibility when you have a limited perspective, a limited perception. And we, in the physical realm, always have a limited perspective and a limited perception. So, one way to make sense of this from a um, boots-on-the-ground kind of in the physical realm is to say, whenever I feel stuck or things seem to oddly not make sense or I see something that I think is completely wrong or paradoxical, I can stop in that moment and turn inside myself and ask, okay, so what emotion am I experiencing right now? Is it confusion? Is it hurt? Is it frustration? Is it bitterness or sadness or resentment? And then I can ask, okay, so how am I creating that? And what might I get exposure to if I let go of everything that my mind is telling me? makes this situation so X, Y, or Z, so frustrating, so confusing, so overwhelming, etc. And if I let go of all of that that my mind is telling me about the moment and then ask to be shown an entirely different perspective, a new way to look at, a new way to understand, a new point of reference, a new way to interpret the same points of reference, When I do that, I open up the possibility to see, to learn, to grow in ways I cannot grow or learn or see if I stay reliant upon what my conscious logical mind tells me. So from some perspectives, especially as long as I'm here, in the physical realm, it might seem arduous. Life might seem brutally difficult. And yet there are people, there are entities, there are perspectives that offer to us the idea that it all makes sense and that the purpose of all of it is joy and love and expansion of creation. The next essay is titled, Hardship is a Gift. Don't try and tell this to somebody who's just lost their home in a flood. Don't try and tell this to somebody whose child just died. But another level of perspective, as Guy Finley would say, everything exists in different levels of scale. And in one level of scale, even some people who've been through tremendous upheaval and change have grown into the realization that hardship is a gift. 
This essay reads, A challenge is a gift. When the individual is challenged by circumstance, the opportunity for the spirit to apply itself and expand through that experience is a gift. It is not that hardship itself is good, but rather it is a neutral, even if painful, catalyst that can be turned into something useful. The ego may reject this. The ego may see hardship as simply terrible and negative. But nothing terrible and negative arises that spirit cannot ultimately use. There is nothing greater than all that is. Nothing can arise within that that is not of meaning. Even hardship, and often especially hardship, ultimately has great value in the churning processes of manifest creation. The churning processes of manifest creation ultimately serve the expansion of everlasting joy. Michael was talking about this yesterday. I forget who he was quoting as saying that it might have been Tyler de Chardin who said, joy is the result of awareness of the divine. So joy is not necessarily anything to do with those things that we like or that make us happy or that give us pleasant stimulation in a moment. And so this is why a a, a lot of different teachers, and Guy Finley's one, and Diedrich Wolzak would be another, and certainly Michael Singer would be another, that say, I can have a connection to my awareness of the divine even in the midst of my pain. I can have joy even in some of the most intense pain even in the middle of some of the most intense hardships because joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is not the same as pleasure. Joy is not the opposite of pain. Joy, in this sense, is this inner state of feeling the truth of your connection to your source. The way of mastery and the the darshans and in some of the Q&As talks about this quite powerfully. The difference between pleasure and joy or happiness and joy. So this essay goes on and says, To the immortal and all-powerful spirit, every challenge is a precious opportunity to bring virtue to bear into conscious awareness and to expand and actualize the depths of one's own love and light in a very real and a lasting way. We are spirit first and human second. The challenges of the secondary human experience are often worth the temporary price to the bold spirit 
who knows the truth of immortality and wishes to expand itself and to expand the joy of all that is forever. In ways that, in, in, here's the, the essay goes on. I misread that first part, but the essay goes on and says, in what ways is the world pushing you painfully to let go of your fear and your ego? In what ways is the world compelling you to embrace your love, live your truth, and share your love? What is the hardship of your life teaching you? What is the pain of your story saying? If you listen deeply beneath all the labels, your deeper spirit is always there ready to help you utilize this current circumstance and utilize it for lasting purposes that may far exceed anything your human mind can imagine. Listening deeply. This reminds me of the interview I did with Sandy Wilder from the Educare Unlearning Institute. And he talks about the deep value of learning to listen, of teaching ourselves to listen. In the Western world, we don't do that much of this listening. And yet, in indigenous cultures around the globe, they listen to everything. They listen to the weather. They listen to the wind. They listen to the trees. They listen to the animals. They listen to their heart. They listen more deeply to life itself and to their fellow brothers and sisters than any of us in the Western world were ever trained to. So learning to listen deeply for the sole purpose of understanding the other or life itself more deeply. Not listening to try and solve a problem. Not listening to try and decide who's right and who's wrong. Not listening with an ear towards what am I going to say when this person is done talking. But listening simply to expand your experience. To understand yourself, life, your fellow brother and sister, your fellow traveler on this journey, to listen in new ways to listen, to ask to be shown not a specific answer, but ask to be shown how a hardship might hold a blessing, might lead to something better in your life. And learning to listen, as the poet Rilke would say, learn to live in the question, in the questioning state, without insisting on an answer. That last essay, again, is titled, Hardship is a Gift. A challenge is a gift. And we don't usually see challenges as a gift. Guy Finley said this in his 
talk that we listened to last Thursday in the support group. We don't think about the, the, the challenges, the, the difficulties, the upsets in our life that come to us as, oh, great, a painful moment. How lucky I am. We don't think of it that way. And yet every painful moment, every challenge, every upsetting event that rides into our lives carries with it the most important lessons for us in this thing we call life. It's not that the hardship itself is good. The hardship itself is only a hardship because we label it a hardship. It's a neutral event. And some of us take these neutral events that require adjustment or they we label them as a hardship and, and we generate bitterness and resentment and hurt and the victim mode and the victim mentality. And others of us take a breath and soften and ask to be shown how it's going to work out better than we could have imagined. And others proactively throw a positive filter on it. And the fact of the matter is, Guy Finley has a whole series of talks where he talks about how we only deal with things when we run out of ways to avoid dealing with it. And then we come out on the other side and say, oh, you know, guess what? This is even better than I had before. Whether it's getting fired from a job or somebody leaving us in a relationship or... Um, a physical ache or pain that requires us to slow down and, you know, do some introspection or change our unhealthy lifestyle habits. And on the other end, on the other side of those kinds of adjustments, we are often far more appreciative of our life than we were before that hardship happened. This essay reminds us that the ego may see a hardship as a negative and a terrible thing, but that ultimately life uses everything for its purposes of expansion and creation and expansion of the joy and love and freedom that is the nature of life. The next essay, number 143, is titled The Falseness of Fear. And this is right in line with one of the Guy Finley teachings in that last um, lecture we listened to. We said, Guy Finley says, in order for there to be fear in a human being, we must first buy into two false beliefs. The first belief is that whatever person or situation is in front of us that we're facing is bigger than we are. And he says, the truth of you, the truth of your essence, your higher self, is that it's nothing is bigger than that. It, everything arises within your true self, which is the same teaching here. And the second false belief we have to buy into in order to generate fear is that the current situation or the person in front of us is there to steal something from us that we absolutely need or 
prevent us from getting something we absolutely need to move forward. And he says, the fact of the matter is, nothing of value can be taken from you, nothing of true value can be added unto you, you are whole and complete as you are. So now here's an essay in the book, A Walk in the Physical, essay 143, that's titled, The Falseness of Fear. And the essay reads, Fear arises when we think we are lacking something, but that something is actually intrinsic to our being. So we can't ever lack it. What are these things? Things like power, freedom, and love. But fear encourages us to think further that we are so lacking that in fear we tend to travel down the rabbit hole of further believing that we are lacking power or lacking freedom or lacking love. However, the underlying truth of our being is that we lack nothing. You are whole and complete as you are. In that sense, fear is a lie. Fear is a lie because separation itself, your your being separate from your source, never happened. And it's that false belief in separation that generates the appearance of a lack of freedom, a lack of power, or a lack of love. Ultimately, it's all an illusion. The experience of separation is a real experience, but it is not the fundamental truth of your being. That appearance of separation, that experience of being separate, is part of the dream of separation. It's part of the mechanism of perception. And it is transcended by something that's far more enduring. Your connection to your source can't be ended. The essay goes on and says, we know that we are, quote, buying into, close quotes, the illusion of separation whenever we are suffering. So this is a restatement of Dr. Michael Rice's line, if I'm in pain, I'm in error. We can know we are buying into the illusion of separation because we are suffering. Our suffering is like the alarm system to wake us up to the false belief that we're separate from our Creator from our source. When we act from fear or selfishness, ultimately we suffer. When we act from fear, others often end up suffering too. Our ego may play all sorts of games to try to justify and protect us, but we can't fool reality, actuality. When we are acting from fear or selfishness, Painful experiences naturally result. This process is not an act of punishment from some higher level of being or source or God. It's just the natural result of choosing a non-native experience of separation over the native experience of unity and love. Fundamental love doesn't even require love in return. And yet, where we choose to withhold our energy of love, our experience of love, our extension of love, we do suffer. 
and that is our own choice. Fear can seem to be very convincing. And you always, always have the power to choose how you will meet it. The invitation in this work is to not be daunted by the scope or by the circumstances. Rather, simply choose how will you meet this moment. Allow your heart and your soul to guide you. The circumstances are not of primary importance. What is important is you, your true nature, your connection to your source. Your simple and powerful intention. Your state of being. So the invitation in this work is to be willing and open and vulnerable. In other words, wide open and genuine and brave. Do so even when it is difficult. Do so especially when it is difficult. And as you do so, you allow yourself to remember whatever perception you are buying into that is giving rise to fear is not greater than the truth. The deepest truth is never, ever one of fear. Fear is ultimately false. And the power of capital L love and capital L life within you is always true. The falseness of fear. If I'm in pain, I'm in error. The fact of the matter is, life is always expressing, extending, and offering me opportunities to expand. So, as Diedrich Wolzak would say, choose again and choose for love. In The Course in Miracles, when we read those lessons the year before last, over and over again, we were asked to choose for love over fear. We were told that a miracle is simply the choice to choose for love over fear. In the way of mastery that we read last year, over and over again it said, the truth that is true always, I and my Father are one. You can't ever be other than what you were created to be. You were created by source, from source energy, as source energy. So, comments, questions, answers, testimonials, 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a dialogue instead of just a monologue. How is this landing for you? What have you been using recently in your own life to generate fear? How might you choose again in a different way? Susan, welcome. Hi. Hi, Dr. Tim. Good to hear your show. Um, I haven't talked to you in a while. Um, 
You asked a bunch of questions the last time we talked. <clears throat> and they have been very useful. The first one that I have written down, I wrote them all down. What are the beliefs I carry in me to limit how honest I am in relationships? Well, I'm going to stop right there and just ask you if you could clarify that a little bit. Maybe I didn't even get it right, but I haven't ever thought of myself as not honest in relationship. In relationships, I have thought of myself as not saying something that might be hurtful or keeping a less than wonderful opinion to myself, but I haven't thought of it as not honest. Do you remember, why should you remember? But if you do remember, or you could rephrase it in some other way. Okay, so if you would, one more time, just read what it is that you think I said. I gave you this <laughs> what? this question. <laughs> what are the beliefs I carry in me to limit I am in relationships. Okay. Well, the the first thing I would say is that if you have a, if you're asking me to clarify this because you've reached the conclusion that you're always completely honest in relationship, I that's your ego that. trying to. Okay. All right. I, I just say that if that's happening, that's your ego trying to. Yeah hide from it. And so no. So the okay, uh, the, 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 the the idea here is that we only hide things when we're operating from fear. And just like we were just reading, fear is false. Fear is, you know, right. this distortion of the creative energy of the mind energy based on a false set of conclusions. And so if I am operating from a place where I think it's not okay or it's not safe or it's not good for somebody to know the truth about me or what I think or feel about myself, it's a lie. And whatever those beliefs are that make me think I'm not good enough or this person could never accept me as I am or this would be offensive to this other person, that's all, it's all a distortion. Mm -hmm. And the more I clarify those distortions, see them as false, the more they drop away. So the invitation here is to look at every false thought and belief I have about myself or those around me and see its false nature by this direct observation, by diving in, by going over and over again, asking to be shown a deeper truth. Well, my brain went in 25 different directions, and I could read you. You suggested journal writing, and I've been doing some of that. Um all I can tell you is that the fruit of these last talks that have happened on the radio show and otherwise have led to an ability that I have to go 
to where I used to go as a little kid when I was absolutely in love with my life and loved and found life magical. That's one of the byproducts. I'll go for my walk in the morning and suddenly things seem, even though I have eyesight troubles, it has nothing to do with anything physical really, but the beauty of the earth and the beauty of strangers that are walking their dogs in the morning and things like that, I feel as if I'm healthier. And I got this idea that how healthy I am in most of my interactions. Now, I might be fooling myself or I might be defending myself because I know there's lots of things I don't speak out. Ramakrishna said years ago to us, he was... um, um, Anyway, he's an in, considered an incarnation in the Hindu tradition, and he was no longer alive when we studied, but we studied with one of his students, and he would say, tell the truth, but not a harsh truth. I try to really live by that, and if I can arrange my thoughts in such a way that I can present them to, like my friend Sally, uh, to get a dialogue going and get love flowing again or communication at least, then I'll do that. And I don't think you would disapprove of that. or I don't think that's what you were trying to say, but I just wanted to make sure. Well, it, it isn't this, – this is about allowing, and what you're intimating is is resonating with me like the idea of forcing and so this is not about forcing. This is about allowing. Allowing myself to see what beliefs I might be holding mm-hmm. that motivate me to be less than open, fully honest, fully present in my relationships. Okay. I get it. Yeah, I see what you're doing. And that is worthy of being looked at. That's good. Okay. The essence of it is that what what any of us who will engage in uh, a set of journalings, targeted journalings like that or uh, allowing things to flow like that is, we will start to see the false negative beliefs we hold about ourselves. Yeah. And that's, that's all it's... I, I want to see, you know, I can't speak the truth to you. I can't give you an assignment that is the truth. I can't write down the truth for you. These great teachings all say the same thing. The truth, capital T truth, can't be spoken. And yet, we can see the false. We can identify the tension, the suffering, the pain that resonates in us when we've engaged in something that's off the mark or partial or distorted. And that... You know, this is one of the, the depth, the deep teachings from Krishnamurti. Just to see the false as the false, to see the false parading around as the true. That's what leads us to see the truth for what it is. So I can tell you how I experience a tension, a pain, a fear, a tightness the thoughts that lead to the emotions of guilt, shame, frustration, resentment, bitterness. I can tell you what those things are. I can't tell you what life is, what love is, what God is. Because 
all these things go beyond words, mm-hmm. even between heartbeats. So mm-hmm. what we do in this work is we get better and better at seeing the false as the false. And, and then you, you love know, it. Well, no, you just are love. <laughs> I love what Golas said. He says, the darkest place, when I was on LSD, I went to this very dark place, and it occurred to me that I'd better love those awful creatures who were showing up. So we're probably saying the same thing, but I often yeah, think of yeah. him. He's, yeah, embrace them. Invite yeah. them for tea. You know, listen to question yes. them, you know, and, and listen deeply mm-hmm. to them so you understand mm-hmm. those things rather than run from them in fear as though they can do something horrible to you because your essence can't ever be chipped, dented, rusted, faded, or broken in any way. Your essence is completely, totally safe always. It's whole and complete and safe always. So when he talk Good about vulnerability that. is is misspeaking, mm-hmm. right? Because there is no vulnerability. There's either openness and expansion, as Golos would say, or contraction. Yeah. I've been thinking about what he says about vibration too. I think he uses, he's the one that uses those words. Only that the better you feel, your vibration is higher. Now, to just aim to raise your vibrations isn't the idea, but just that those are natural things. Right. Wasn't he and, the one and, that used words vibration all the time? Yeah. Well, that, that's part of it. But uh, the thing I was just about to say is that Matt Kahn talks about all these people that talk about raising your vibration. He says, your vibration is always the same. You're part of source. So it's mm-hmm. not really raising your vibration. It's raising or shifting the focus of your awareness from you know, some false belief that you're not enough to the truth of your existence as the extension of love and form. Mm-hmm. But you're already life expressing in form your your vibration is life it's and it's always there you don't always understand it see it or feel it because you're buying into some distorted perception and yet it doesn't change your true nature just because you you think you are bad or wrong or unlovable it doesn't change your true nature This is like the idea of humility from the ancient Aramaic. It says to be, it, the, the idea of humility is this ability to look for and see the highest and best in another, which means to understand everyone around you is already their mm. true essence, their vibration is already life, love, extending, extending in form. They are not operating from the awareness of that, 
But mm-hmm. even though they're operating from some belief that they're less than and they're, you know, buying into these thoughts and beliefs that are causing them pain and suffering, you can stand in their presence and see their true nature and your true nature and keep your conscious awareness focused on that. That's that's essentially what I believe people are talking about when they say raise your vibration. They're just talking about raising their awareness of the truth of their nature. That's really nice. And you just said in different words what true forgiveness is, too. If you see them that way, you have practiced true forgiveness in the area. You have removed the false beliefs about them as being less than, yes. Right. <clears throat> and in that moment, you know, you 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 remove any upset in you that might be resonated when you're holding a goal for them to behave in a different way. And that's in to remove the negative vibrations. That's the forgiveness process. You know, one of the things in the way of mastery, and um, it's, it's not... Um, I, I I put this out here with a caution because Michael Bryce doesn't think it's the same thing, but my eye and ear tells me this is the same process. And in one of the in the third lesson in the way of mastery, where it's talking about forgiveness, mm. it says every time you do this process of forgiveness, which to my eye and ear is the same as Michael Rice's process, which is you know their their definition for forgiveness is to choose to release another from the perceptions you have been projecting upon them I love and therefore that. an act of forgiving one's own perceptions dismantling one's right. own negative perceptions right mm-hmm. That's what this process of forgiveness is. And it says, as you begin to forgive even 70 times, seven times, each time you forgive, each time you remove a false perception about yourself or somebody else, you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. Mm. You begin to see your own true nature. You begin to see the true nature of those around you. That's what this paragraph is saying to me. You begin to yeah. see how profoundly you have been coloring and therefore affecting all of your relationships. How did you color and affect all your relationships? Because you were completely unaware of the power of projection, mm-hmm. of the power totally of your true. distorted perception. Why were we unaware yeah. of it? Because... We've been taught that when we look out through our eyes, we see the world outside of us. We've not been taught that we don't look out through our eyes. Our eyes are just antennas, and they take in light waves and other energies. And that when our brain shows us a picture, our scientists these days are saying that the energy that comes in from the eyes is only about 20% of the information that goes into the pictures our minds create. The other 80% Mm. comes from our mood, our physical expression, our history, our beliefs, our traumas. So when when, when I successfully remove 
a blockage to my seeing my true nature and the true nature of those around me, that's forgiveness. Yep. And as I practice that removal of what is false, I get to see my true nature and the true nature of the world around me and the true nature of the people around me. But you're not stupid when you do it. My One of my clinker thoughts in there is just that, are you telling me that I'm not seeing what I'm seeing because I can see somebody doing something that they're doing? And But in a talk recently, you... Well, and you were on the radio show ages ago told about time you had to do a wake-up sheet because your wife came in doing what she needs to do because she's herself and she didn't have the brain cells or the capacity to interact in a way that would be healing for both of you together. I won't go into all that, but you acknowledged in a way, I don't even know how to use the words, but you acknowledged that we don't have to not no things, not even necessarily. No, no, we. No, it's 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 it's. Let me just interrupt you. It's the reverse. <laughs> we see. Michael Rice talks about we see through the clear windshield with 360 degree vision, and when we have hostility or fear active, or we buy into the false belief, it's like we've got these filters that constrict our view and distort our view. So. What we're saying, this idea of humility from the ancient Aramaic is I can have somebody who's screaming and raging in my face. Yeah. And I see that, but I choose to cooperate with their highest and best, which is also there and never gone. And I see Mm -hmm. that they're screaming and raging at me as a result of them being in pain, fear, or sadness that they either are unwilling or unable to process internally or in a way that helps them gain relief from that without hurting somebody else around them. Think about this. You know, I worked for decades in these 24-hour facilities where I was young and strong and, and, you know, six foot four and, you know, had some muscles on my frame. And so they wanted me in all of these situations where people could get violent, whether it was in the probation Mm -hmm. line or it was in the adult jailing facility or the juvenile jail or the psychiatric hospital or, you know, the therapeutic day school I worked in. And all of these different places, my ability to stay calm and not take personally the insults and the things thrown at my head and the swings people were taking at me is what allowed me to get through all of that without any injury. Mm, Amazing. And, and, And that's why they coached us over and over again. Dismantle the upset. Don't take it personally. Stick to the procedure. Take a breath and calm down. Get centered before you decide your next action, et cetera. Why? Because... We don't want to see this person that just insulted me or told me what horrible things he was going to do to my sister or my mother sexually. I don't want to see him as somebody 
who deserves to be beaten up or punished. I want to see him as somebody in pain, somebody with very limited resources, somebody who's who's hurting or confused, and and I want to see they have a right to be treated with respect, to be comforted mm-hmm. rather than beaten. Yeah. And time after time, as I did that with people, I got better results. So this mm, is not about putting blinders on. This is literally like taking the blinders off. This is, Don't you this think, is, though... Go ahead. Don't you think that it's a lot easier to do that with people you don't have long-standing relationships with? Well, easier at first glance, perhaps. But the, the thing that makes this easier is that I practice doing it, that I keep choosing for love, that I keep recognizing Mm -hmm. I'm not the one creating their emotions and they're not the ones creating mine, that I practice that so that I'm actively, each time I choose that and practice that, I'm peeling off another layer of the conditioning of my culture and my families, which has Mm -hmm. had me believe the opposite of the truth. But that's the only thing I think that makes it easier. Because I worked with a lot of these people, and they took it personally when the patients or the inmates or the students would get violent. They took it personally. Mm. And if this wasn't their mother or father, so I, I could choose to generate all kinds of upset and blame it on somebody else, whether it's my immediate family member or some stranger on the street. I mean, so it's about the internal dynamic of the person, right? I I, I, I hasten to to, um, remind you that road rage incidents do not only happen with immediate family members. (laughs) That's true. Right? That's a (laughs) <laughs> now, I might say that because be, because of my experience with these people and because I have so much investment in the um, outcome of this conversation, etc., that I might find it harder because I'm really not as well practiced in that, but it's the practice that makes it easier. Yeah. It's the internal dynamic. It's the belief in the negative uh, conclusions within me that makes it difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there's a lot more to be explored about this. I'm thinking of my friend Sally and how I'm hesitant to interact because I feel as if I am picking my way through landmines. And this has got to be a lot of my stuff. Yeah, but yeah, that's and and that's that's what some of those writing assignments are about so you so that you can just uncover what are those landmines within you yeah you know i had somebody um earlier today who asked me for a a targeted journaling assignment a writing assignment and um so I, I, I wrote back and I said, okay, try writing on this. It's safe and healing for me to realize that I am worthy of all the good that can possibly flow into my life. 
Oh, lovely thought. Well, it's it's as true as you want to make it, and it's as false as you believe it to be. In your because because <laughs> it, because thought. because it's it's your belief about it that makes it one way or the other for you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I realize that Jeannie has come back on the switchboard and we've exhausted our first hour, so I will mute you so you can listen in. Thank you so much for the call once again. Blessings. And I will remind us all that we come from love, we're made of the stuff we call love, we actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio, and today is Tuesday, July the 18th, 2023, and our call-in number is 563-999-581, and press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us, and we'd love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. You know, Dr. Tim was talking about a hardship or a challenge is a gift, and it was really kind of cute. You know, we weren't supposed to have Aria till Wednesday and Thursday this week, but her other grandpa um, had surgery on his knee, so we had her yesterday and today, and we'll have her again tomorrow. But um, last night we had kind of a little flood in the kitchen and uh, overflow of, the, of a pan by the sink, and anyway, it kind of made a mess. And, and uh, so when she came today... I was like wiping off cans and things like that and putting them back in there. And we had let a fan run all night in the cabinet to dry it out. And she was asking me about it. And I said, well, we had a flood. I said, we had kind of a mess. And so she wanted to know why I was saying it was a flood and everything. And she goes, well, Nene, everything is nice and clean and shiny now. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, the challenge was definitely a blessing. Now the kitchen cabinet's cleaned out and a lot of the, the pantry stuff has has been um, straightened out and gotten rid of old stuff into the compost. So, yeah, it was a blessing. And uh, so it just depends on how you look at it. And I appreciate her beautiful innocence when she looks at things like that. And so anyway, we look on the bright the side of hour. life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, Let's see, Susan just sent me a text. Let me see what it says. So welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. We get to uh, carry this conversation on to the next level as we move into deeper and deeper understanding of this first century Aramaic set of tools that was left to us 2,000 years ago by this man named Yeshua and how profound and how powerful it is and kind of related to yesterday and the uh, the insight that I shared yesterday I'm really more and more realizing when doing some research I spoke with someone yesterday who said oh there are these two people that are doing a debate there's spiritual teacher type things and so you know go listen to their debate and, and my first thought was well the root of the word debate is to beat why would these guys who are spiritual teachers want to beat each other and I listened and it was just like the height of intellectual not even sure what to call it just like kind of 
bantering back and forth intellectually and the it, it sort of related for me to that thing yesterday we looked at so the mind of man has these high philosophies and I forget who it was somebody in history uh, said to Horatio I believe it was you know you're higher than your philosophies have ever considered and when we have this mind of man when we have carbon-based memory generating constructs called perception they can sound so highfalutin and so wonderful and so exciting and so much fun but they are and and no matter how high level they are they're absolutely nothing when it comes to living in the actuality and the ultimate objective of this work is to be freed from that process to enter into a whole different level a whole different realm of experience and expression that allows us to directly act as human beings with the actuality of the world and so that's what our objective is here and uh, and I'm delighted to be able to uh, to have been able to interact with this Aramaic formula called forgiveness and the correlated tools that have developed out of it brought 2,000 years ago by this first century teacher that just had such a, a level of comprehension and I sort of get a visual of imagine standing in the mind but reaching up to a whole other dimension and working to bring that other dimension into the mind you know when people have what we call a spiritual experience it usually takes time for them to integrate into their minds to get their minds to even start to understand it or to be able to talk about it you know, listen to people who've had a near-life experience where they've gone into clinical death and the, the mind breaks down the mind stops and all of a sudden there's this it's been called a near-death experience but it is anything but that when carbon-based memory collapses we get the opportunity to step into the truth into the experience of who we are without reference to and without the filter of the past pretending it knows so I hope that makes sense to everybody and Miss Jeannie do we have anybody in the phone yes. the hand up or anybody in the chat room um, there are no questions, and I just checked my email, and I didn't have, haven't received any questions. Oops, the hand just went up, and I believe it is Miss Audrey five two zero. You are on the air. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Uh, I, I have a couple questions. One. Great. Oh my goodness! Somebody just walked in my house. <laughs> what a what a timing. Um, when, do you need, when I was do you going, need to pay attention to who was, came in and called us back? Um, it's a nurse. Um, maybe you could address this on air, and I'll, you could unmute me. The question is, I was brought up by a parental figure, by a parental figure who said, God is going to punish you. Yeah. Okay. That is a belief system 
that I do a little bit of work on, and um, it just comes right back. How long? I mean, I, and then I was, you know, with the family of origin that that belief system had originated in, well, it originated within me a long time ago. Then it was the family of origin. And then I was um, made to go to church. And I didn't understand what was going on because it was in Latin. But I did go to uh, catechism, I guess you would say religious training, where I would be told to say these words for forgiveness. I didn't understand what was going on. Now, that's my, that is rooted someplace within me. And I, I feel like an elephant, the baby elephant, that you put the uh, the rope around it, and it's conditioned to stay within a period of time. And soon the elephant knows uh, I I can't go out there. I'd like to take this off the air. And you talk about, I I know the process is forgiveness, but it's a core being belief. And then all of a sudden, I come upon, say, a group of people that's telling me God loves me. All right. Now, one, I've been conditioned. God is going to punish you. You're bad. Reinforced, like, rulers be hit on my fingers when I, 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 I couldn't get the words in order. Now, that's yeah. my core being. Okay, the worksheet is how I process it. Okay, could you talk about... Um, people who have these core belief systems. I mean, I think I think it's the greatest travesty known to mankind to I agree. get the belief of to get the belief of, of um, you will burn in hell eternally. I mean, that is, that is so damaged damaging and I have this damaging belief system within me. So I'd like to, I'd like to listen to anything you have to say. Could you unmute me? Well, if you do have anything okay. to say about it. Sure, I, I have I have some thoughts to, to offer. You know, one of the things we know is that when people go into denial, the end result is projection. And denial is the belief when I either think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me. When I live in denial, I have to hide things from myself. And then the very things that I hide from myself are the things that show up in my, in what, you know, I talked about just a few minutes ago as the mind of man. And so when people harbor pain and trauma and abuse, whatever or whoever they turn their attention to when that's triggered into activity, they'll project that into their brain's image of whoever they're focused on. And so we hear the plain, simple fact in the ancient scriptures that the creator is love. Not that the creator loves us, but that the creator is love. 
When we realize that love is the root energy of creation, the energy behind the universe, and when people fall out of harmony with that, and, you know, it starts, you know, it's interesting in The Course of Miracles, it speaks of a tiny mad idea. When we buy into a mad idea, mad ideas, when, when the mind engages them, in them, hurts physiologically, hurts emotionally, hurts psychologically. And it's not a big leap for somebody then to deny that they're putting the hurt on themselves. And in that denial, they'll project that hurt into whoever they're focused on. So it might be a punishing parent, it might be a punishing government, or it might be love itself which is a pretty insane thought. And sadly, generations and generations and centuries of tradition have, because people have dissociated from their own punishment thoughts, their own abusive thoughts, had to find somebody to blame for it. So let's blame love. Let's blame the creator. We'll make the creator the, the creator of this hot, fiery place and, and actually, if you go, if you look historically from the Aramaic perspective, there was a, a, a dump outside of Jerusalem that was called the Gehenna, the fiery place. Literally, it was a garbage dump, and it was also a place where when people could not afford a pro, what was called a proper funeral, their bodies were burned. When they died, their bodies were burned at the Gehenna. And it seems that that became a threat with children. You know, if you don't behave, I'll take you to the, I'll send you to the Gehenna, the fiery place. And that seemed to work pretty well. So they created a place like that for big people. My offering is, and I know there are people who will want to send me to hell for saying this, is that that's a total fantasy projected from punishing men and women who don't want to own their own internal violence and so have to project it into their brain's image of someone and why not God? And sadly, it has left millions and millions of people in terror and trauma and afraid to even question the idea because they're threatened with this thing called hell. If you think love is going to threaten you, then you've got a mistaken perception of love would be my offering. That it isn't even like, you know, back when Yeshua was here, you know, there was this story that Yeshua was God and that, you know, there was going to be this judgment day. Now, 2,000 years ago, the, what should I call them? Those who lived in denial in that time said, ah, Yeshua is here to judge you and send you to your punishment. And Yeshua really clearly said, not my job. I am not here to condemn humanity. I'm here to save humanity. I'm, I'm here to give humanity the tools with which to unload this burdensome lie that God's angry with them. You know, love and anger are inconsistent with each other. It's just a plain, simple, projected lie. Once one recognizes that, then one obviously goes to work undoing the lie that's been reinforced. And, and sadly, 
the bigger the authority is in someone's life, the deeper the implanted ideas go into the mind. And so religious authorities, religious hierarchies, you know, the authorities in the church, teachers in schools who are also authorities, and then parents who don't know any better tend to reinforce it. And when you get that all three barrels coming from those three sources, it's implanted pretty deeply. So the, the, the first order of business to me is to be in the willingness to question and to confront the lies of authority. And there are lots of them. Is there anywhere that it makes sense that love is going to condemn you? And 2,000 years ago when this man named Yeshua says, I'm not interested in judging anybody, you'll notice that after he left, they made up a story that, well, in the end, he's going to come and judge you. You know, there's going to be judgment day. Well, I believe in non-judgment day. I, I think it's all just a major fraud. It's crazy. He was really clear. I'm not here to do that. Why would he do it, you know, at some inf point out in infinity somewhere? It's just a silly projection of minds who didn't know any better. And did not understand how to function in harmony with the mind in them that was love's mind and therefore used threat to control. You know, if, the, if you look at the word discipline, you know, the, the, the culture has a meaning for the word discipline and it pretty much means properly beat up. You've got to beat them into submission. Spare the rod, spoil the child. I, um, I shared last week on the show, we watched a video called uh, Shiny Happy People on Amazon. And one of the things that they exposed was that this religious group, which, they, which claims to have trained over two and a half million people, used to do a thing with children that they called blanket time. And there's a, a voice recording of the, one of the women who sourced this idea. And she's talking like she's talking to her children, explaining this, oh, come on, kids, we're going to do blanket time. This is going to be so much fun and it's exciting. And what does blanket time look like? They take a child at six months of age, they put it on the blanket and put some kind of a, a toy just out of reach of the child. And if the child reaches for the toy, they hit it. And if the child reaches for the toy again, they hit it again. And if the child reaches for the toy again, then they hit it one more time until the child stops reaching for the toy. And they acknowledge or they speak of this is to break the child's spirit. Thank you very much, but I'd rather have the most spirited, intuitive, truth-seeking child in the world than a child whose spirit is broken. And support that and recognize that the word Discipline comes from the word disciple, and the word means properly taught. People who live, adults who live in hostility, fear, sadness, grief, rage, pain, drama, and trauma have no idea how to discipline a child, 
have no idea how to properly teach a child, so it's easier to say something like, spare the rod. You'll remember in the scriptures, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They are support. You have a rod to hold on to to help you to stand up straight, not to beat a kid with. But those who've been beaten into submission will tend to carry on the family tradition of beating others into submission. And my offering is it's total and complete hogwash. And any individual who has been beaten into submission has a significant amount of forgiveness work to do to literally remove from their structures the pain and trauma inflicted to, quote, unquote, break one's spirit. To me, the object would be to step up to the plate as love, have teachers who are able to exist at that level of love and inspire through love the children to maintain all of their spiritual faculties. You know, there's one spiritual faculty that is abhorred by adults who are living a lie. Most adults live in a lie. The example I like to use is, let's imagine that mom's standing out by the fence talking to the neighbor, Mrs. Jones, and they're chatting over the fence, and little Johnny's two and a half. Johnny still lives in the spiritual realm of intuition, and Johnny doesn't listen to words so much as Johnny watches and experiences intuitively the energy that's going on. Mr. Jones comes out of the house, comes over, and gives his wife a peck on the cheek as he's going to work. And little Johnny looks, and he can see the daggers. He can see the energy that's going on between Mr. and Mrs. Jones. And little Johnny says, gee, Mr. Jones, why do you hate your wife so much? He can see the energy. He can sense the energy. Everybody else has denied it and pretends it's not there. They don't find out about it until they find out that Mrs. Jones was killed by her husband. Cancel the thought. But what does mom do when little Johnny speaks up and says that? Turns around and slaps him in the head. Don't you ever say anything like that again. In other words... Don't use your intuition. Don't be in touch with the truth. We are a nation of liars. We lie to each other all the time. We don't tell each other the truth, and you're not allowed to know the truth. So I'm going to punish you into submission until there is so much pain in you that it will override your intuition, and you will not know what is true and what is false. And sadly, that has been an energy that I think has permeated our whole culture. And it's time for us to wake up and live in the truth and to support our children having full knowledge, full full intuition, full function, full imagination, totally and completely with those spiritual faculties. And, of course, to do that, we're going to have to step deeper and deeper into telling ourselves and each other the truth and acknowledging that. So, yes, you're right. The forgiveness tool is the tool that's going to be applied there. And, 
you know, if we look back through history, you know, you look at medieval history, and you look at even, you know, going back further than that, you look at the inquisitions and such, and this thing of lying and controlling people and, and, and punishing and destroying lives has been going on for so long that if you choose to wake up from that, there's going to be a deeply significant amount of work to be done to clean it up. And so that would be my take on it. The truth is, you and I, each one of us is created of this energy called love, including Mr. and Mrs. Jones and Mom and little Johnny. And the sooner we recapture the truth of who we are and speak from and function from that, the better off the whole society and civilization is going to be. Yes, there's going to be a lot of old developed dogma that's going to have to be confronted and dissolved. A lot of lies have been told by the church as well. You know, churchianity to a great degree has lied all along the way because they were functioning out of this mind that did not understand I remember being invited to a church in Springfield, Missouri that I normally might not have gone to. And the minister was up front and it was a setup. He was married and his wife and his little son were sitting up on the altar with him. And he gets up to do his sermon and he's doing this, you know, really hot sermon on love. And his son, who's maybe three kind of breaks loose of mom's grasp and runs over to daddy, arms up and, you know, wanting daddy's attention, wanting love. It's like, oh, I got what that preacher was all about, just watching the fire and the venom with which he turned to his child because his child would dare interrupt his sermon about love. The truth was, it was a perfect place for this man to break right in the middle of his sermon, bend down, pick his child up, hold his child, bring his child into the expression of love that he was talking about. But then he'd have to had to have broken through the abuse that was done to him when he interrupted his parents. And that's the sort of thing that just, you know, needs to be cleaned up. And so the cleanup work is done with forgiveness. And that's why we're so focused on bringing that tool out to the world on a global scale. So that would be my input around that. I hope that uh, moves in the direction of what you were looking for, uh, Audrey. If you have any other thoughts, Ms. Jeannie, maybe open Audrey's microphone again, and let's see if she's still there. Are there any other thoughts? She actually has dropped off. I think I heard her say that it was a nurse that was there. Uh, Okay. Anyway, she has dropped off some. So she can get the archive. Re- yeah. Right. Um, also, uh, just to add a little bit to that, I thought of a paper that I wrote actually when I was in college, and it was on learned helplessness. And you can go to like Psychology Today or any of those, and you know they write about it all the time. That is an actual thing. It's not something that you know we've made up to talk about here. Um, it's that a person, or it even goes for an animal, uh, has tried 
unsuccessfully um, through certain behaviors to get a different result. And so they learn that nothing they do is going to change it, change the outcome or whatever. And so they don't even try. They just quit. And an example that uh, they had given, and it's really kind of comical, but it's, it's exactly what we do, is this dog that, you know, he knew that he couldn't go out through, the, there was a glass door, you know, glass storm door or whatever, except the glass in the storm door was missing, but the dog had learned, you know, that it couldn't go past that until its owner opened the door. And so the owner would even step through the doorway and call for the dog, and it would sit there until he actually opened the frame of the door, and then the dog would walk through. But it had learned, I can't go through there until you open the doorway. And we do the same thing. It's, and, you know, I think that that was part way. It takes a lot to break through that and to get to the other side. Part of that is, you know, I was in a, what, from I got married at 16 and was married for three years to this guy who abused me constantly. And it was like, there's nothing I can do to get out of this. You know, I deserve this. You know, this is what I get for getting married so young or whatever stories I told myself. And it was a lot to break through and get out of that situation. And so, you know, we've, we have just been brainwashed that this is the way it is. And, and, you know, like you said, conditioned that you're bad and you deserve whatever's going on. And uh, just like the little child that, that you were talking about, Michael, on the blanket, you know, it learns at a very, very young age that if it wants something, it can't have it because something's going to happen that hurts. And so it quits trying. And it's a learned helplessness and consistent victimhood. Yeah, one of the other uh, sad scenes in this uh, movie, you can watch it on Amazon, or it's actually a, a docu-series, was a child of this couple. It's very famous preacher-type TV folks. And um, this child's about two and a half, maybe three, and she's reciting, like, I'm not sure how to describe it, like compulsive reciting that I listen and I obey immediately. I listen, words to the effect of I listen and I obey immediately. I obey immediately. And this is the authoritarian game that so many people in the realm of churchianity, I won't say religion, I'll say churchianity, and it's totally, completely fake, nothing whatsoever to do with God. It is the mind of man forcing humans into non-humanhood. And sadly, it has destroyed many lives and left many people in a space of total rejection of the fact that we literally physiologically live in a world of conscious active present love and yet when abused the mind floods that world with the energy of the abuse that's been suffered until forgiveness occurs and removes it. And so we're here to facilitate that removal. 
and to give the tools to each person to recognize that that so much of what's called dogma and doctrine has nothing whatsoever to do with what Yeshua came to bring. You know, you'll never find anywhere in Yeshua's words where he says, ah, I come to bring you doctrine, I come to bring you dogma. Actually, he's got a really simple statement about what he's here for. He says, quote, I come to bring you life, life more abundantly. And the best definition I've found yet of life, Audrey, is that life is love flowing through a cell. Anything that we do, including the worst that churchianity's got to offer, not there aren't some wonderful things that are offered there too, but the worst that churchianity's got to offer inhibits the flowing of life through a cell, and anything that does that is off mark. And it's time for us to get back on the mark. So that's what we're here to do. So thank you for that question appreciate the opportunity to address that issue. I think it's a really, really important one. And we'll hold the space, Audrey, and anywhere along the way that you need any support in undoing that. And there can be some really painful moments. You know, oftentimes these kinds of inane, insane, supposedly religious ideas are reinforced with rejection, with punishment, with physical, mental, emotional, and even sexual abuse. And so anytime that there's any layer that you're having a challenge or anyone's having a challenge working through, we're here to facilitate and support those layers being cleared out so that we truly get to experience human life as it's designed to be experienced. And the bottom line about human life is that human life is love. And life is love flowing through a cell. So we're designed for. And we have two hands up. Great. Let's say hello. And the first one, I believe, is Celinda, Fossil One. You're on the air. Hello, how are you today? Hey, welcome, young lady. We're rocking. How about you? Oh, I'm a little rocky, but I'm rocking. <laughs> okay. I wanted to comment on uh, your comments and Audrey's questions. Uh, when I, after my first husband died and I was in Marin County, I got involved with a charismatic Episcopalian charismatic movement, which led me to Jesus people. And uh, I got pretty involved in a Jesus People ministry. And there was a a young gentleman who uh, decided he was the leader of the group, or the group decided, someone decided. And I remember him saying one time, it was the first, I think about one of the first, not the first, but one of the uh, first questionings I had about religious teachings. And he said what he said about that, we're here to break the spirit of the child was a little different. What he said is we're here to break the child's will, not their spirit. 
And at the time, I thought that sounded a little strange, but I was a born-again Christian, really involved in that. So I went along with it for a while. But when I uh, observed the results in my relationship with my daughter and I realized I was going down the same path, my mother went with me, I quit. Um, And I said, how do you break a child's will without breaking their spirit? It's not possible. So I thought I'd share that with you. Uh, also that right on and and that's the same yeah. just, just to throw a thought in with that and that's you know there are basically five spiritual faculties and one of them is will and one of the other ones is intuition and you know I started out speaking about how you know the world as quickly as it can shuts down intuition and it's the same thing with will rather than supporting the child in love and supporting their will, which is one of the faculties we were given for developing a life, for living a life. And yet someone with willpower, the ego's cheap copy of that spiritual faculty, wants to destroy it because they are authoritarian and controlling. Absolutely. And then another uh, observation I made that um, pushed me further away from religiosity was I was in Honolulu one time. I was a representative on the board of uh, uh, the on a board of the Episcopal Church. I'll get this out yet. And I got off the bus to go to the cathedral, and there was this very harsh voice. And when I listened to it for a little while, being over all of the crowds, I realized that it was someone giving a sermon. And it was a similar experience to what you experienced. There was a Salvation Army woman on a little stool or something on her little soapbox giving this amazing sermon in her mind about love and Christ's love for us. And yet the whole face of that lady was contorted with rage, and the whole tone of her voice was contorted with rage. And people were passing her by, and I don't even remember a group gathered, uh, just mostly people passing by her, like almost trying to avoid her. That was a very profound lesson for me. I hear you. There's that old saying of, you know, I I am so tapped in and can hear so loudly in my in my intuition who you are that I didn't hear a word you said when somebody's functioning out of that. It's like and obviously the the, the music and the uh the message don't go together very well in too many cases. The energy field and the message for sure. That yeah, that's interesting yeah. you put it in terms of music. Also, I don't know if you've ever read I believe his name is David Martin. I don't know if you've ever read David Martin's book, um, um Lizards Eat Butterflies. No. Dr. Tim turned uh, me on to it. Well, didn't turn me on to it. I turned me on to it. But he had mentioned it in one of his broadcasts. So I went out and uh, convinced the library to buy it. And then I read it. And he was he's talking this, uh, about, very interesting read, by the way. He's talking about um, 
the scientists have discovered there are 12 cranial nerves. Yes. And that they need, they, every, five of them are connected to the five senses. Seven of them, they, they don't have a clue where they go. And um, I thought... Well, actually... Now, is, in, is intuition yeah, actually the, one of the... Is intuition one, uh, one of the um, spiritual faculties? Is intuition one of them? Yes. Okay. There, I was wondering if there were six spiritual faculties. I thought you heard, heard you say one time that there were actually, you had come across the six spiritual practice, but uh, faculty, I mean, but I'm not sure if I heard that correctly. But it came to my mind that if we have five senses that go to the left brain uh, and intuition, which I would think, even though it's a spiritual faculty, uh, I feel it in my gut area. You know, it's like a sensory perception for me uh, um, that the left brain can hook into if it's not trained out of it. And then um, the five other spiritual faculties, my impression in my observation and my just sitting and questioning was, I would think that those other sense, those other nerves, cranial nerves, are somehow connected with either the uh, right brain, the reflex brain, or the um, of the spiritual faculties. Because I had also heard at one point uh, in my journey, my spiritual journey, that the I think it was educational kinesiology that the left brain, the conscious brain, whatever it is, will only accept the five senses. It's an observational brain, an evidential brain, and it'll only accept the five physical senses. Um, But it's not because they don't come into it. It's because it blocks them. Whereas, and that would make perfect sense to me if all of the, uh, cranial nerves had to do with ways of perceiving or experiencing um, or uh, the, uh, like the spiritual faculties or also our conscious physical faculties that that would make perfect sense to me that those seven other ones ought, probably are involved with the reflex brain or the emotional brain or whatever you want to call it, the intuitive brain and um, it's just that the conscious brain will not accept them. Accept well, that's an interesting that. thought. Uh, actually, the 10th cranial nerve is one that uh, we're very acquainted with, and that is called the vagus nerve. And it's called vagus, the word vagus there meaning wandering nerve, and it actually innervates the whole body, and in particular, rest, digestion, and elimination. And the it's the alternative or it's the nerve that has to be functioning in order for us to sleep properly in order for us to uh, digest properly in order for elimination to occur and where most people live in sympathetic dominance fear is active and when fear is active sympathetic dominance 
blood flow is shunted away from the rest, digest, elimination, and higher brain function parts of the structure, blood flow literally is shunted away from that to survival, to the larger muscles to either fight or run, and to the lungs in order to take in more oxygen for survival. And when people, and most people in our culture live, especially brought up in the kind of fear-based culture that we've been talking about, live in that sympathetic dominant state chronically. And when one lives in that state chronically, the pathways, and this is one of the places, you know, we're going to have a conversation after the show about the Avison. Uh, we've arranged to do that, but the, the pathways to those rest, digest, elimination, and higher brain functions, if chronically shut down because the blood flow has been shunted away, end up becoming congested. And there are actually, you know, there are a lot of people who are, in, especially in the, uh, the therapy world, trauma therapy and such, are working with the vagus nerve, trying to stimulate, trying to get it operational or active again. And... I've never seen anywhere that it's understood that the blood flow has to be restored. And if there's congestion because of chronic restricted blood flow to those functions, then you can stimulate that vagus nerve all you want and you won't get proper rest and you won't get proper digestion or elimination or higher brain function. And that's one of the, uh, the powers and the, the, the superpowers of the Avacyn is to open that blood flow again and to, over time, clear out the congestion from chronic restriction of blood flow. You know, if you think about a stream where there's a chronic restriction, i.e., we have this beautiful, nice, cool stream that runs by the house, it's clean, beautiful drinking water, smells good, and one day a restriction happens, a tree falls over the, over the stream. All of a sudden, you know, uh, debris coming downstream gets caught in this tree, and it's not long before instead of a, a, a creek, you've got a swamp. That's exactly what happens in the blood vessels. And what happens in the swamp? Things grow that don't belong there. It starts to have smells that you'd never smell from the creek. And you better not drink it because it could be deadly. And the same thing happens in the... Uh, the blood flow to the throughout the whole body, and, and this vagus nerve literally runs through the whole body, touching every one of those organs that contribute to the functions we're talking about. And so when you use the Avacyn, the blood flow is restored, and over time, the chronic congestion, like the swamp, gets cleaned out, and those higher functions take off. That's one of the things we see with the Avacyn. Well, that's very interesting because that only leaves us with one we haven't sorted. <laughs> one cranial What's that? nerve, if that's a possibility. Um, I don't know. You know, if we have the five senses that um, are accounted for as five of those cranial nerves, we have the vagus nerve, which is the sixth one, and we have... Um, five spiritual truths, um, doesn't that only leave one for us to to play with and see? And there, it's all possibilities, right? It's all, 
it's all, it doesn't mean it's true. It's just I thought, what an exciting field to play in. Right. Yeah. Well, it certainly, you know, what I hear is that you've perhaps brought through something very powerfully uh, in your from your intuition, and uh, that that is something worth doing some deeper research into to see just how yeah. that relates. Makes sense. The spiritual scientific method sounds good to me. You got it. Uh, also, um, between this show with Dr. Tim's show and my book is archivable. It is, uh, it is exactly what I needed to hear anyway. Um, with Dr. Tim, what he read, the ideas he put forth, the possibilities he put forth, his conversation with Susan, right spot on for me. Um, and what's your conversation and Jeannie's conversation now? Uh, I'm going to take this archive and see if I can't get it to David Martin because I thought that Butter- Lizards Eat Butterflies is a great book. Um, awesome. I'd love know. to have a conversation with him. You know, anyone, anywhere that you can open a door for us to take this work into, you know, folks like that, uh, that we can expand and keep moving around, any support in that direction is deeply appreciated. Yeah, and he is uh, like a renegade in the corporate structure from my point of view. Now, that's just my observation. I mean, he's out there learning for himself how best to help the world and apparently does a lot of uh, conflict work with indigenous cultures and the big corporations that try to muscle in on them and um, you know so and we all we all have growing edges we all can learn from each other it's the great smorgasbord of life Uh, I love smorgasbords because I get to eat exactly what I want and leave the rest (laughs) and it all comes together in the end uh, because sometimes it leads me to something I wouldn't have tried originally. Uh, so it's just a great expanded table of abundance. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation. And I just wanted to share this on the show because I thought this might be something that I, I'm fascinated with those 12 cranial rural, uh, nerves. And I just thought I'd share my my cool. my questionings and my uh, personal research. (laughs) All right, young lady. Thank you. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you in a little bit. Thank you. Bye-bye. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye. We have another hand up. It is Julia, area code 360. You are on the air. Hey there, young lady. Welcome. Hi. Hey. Hello, rock star. How can we Locking support in. you today? Um, well, I wanted to <laughs> tell you about an experience I had this morning. Uh, when I woke up, I was remembering something you had said and um, about when you first wake up, you know, start thinking about love and, you know, generate the love in, in you and in your mind and heart. And so right. then I was like, oh, I wonder what's on his website that will help me, you know, um, elicit these feelings. And so I, I was going through, and then I, 
I in your blog. I just lost you, Julie. Julia, pardon me. Yeah, I don't hear her either. Yeah, she's still on the switchboard, Julia. We can't hear you. Can you hear me, Jeannie? Yeah, there you are. Yeah. So you were talking about going to the website? Okay, yeah, yeah. So I was reading a blog, and it was about um, Wild Bill. And uh, who was in a concentration camp, and he right. they thought That's when, um, and he was yeah, and I just started sobbing. I was just overwhelmed with uh, hmm. like feelings of grief and sadness. Wow! <laughs> Do you have a genetic history so of of association with? Concentration camps with not the Holocaust? That, or? No, not that. Yeah, well, not that I'm aware of. I my my family lineage is, is you know mostly uh, Nordic, and mm-hmm. um, but we have some some German blood, some English blood, and Nordic, and it could maybe be through the German blood. I'm not sure, but I thought you know, wow, this this is feeling really heavy. And, well, there was uh, some pretty heavy-duty abuse in that Nordic world. Oh yeah. Well, all all of us, all of humanity through history, it, yeah. you know, the uh, crazy. We've been we've been battering each other. It's pretty bizarre, isn't it? For a long time. Time for yeah, a new day. Yeah. It is. It is, and that's what I was going for. And but I guess there was a. You know, some something I needed to acknowledge there and feel and express, and so I allowed it to move through me. And um, then I was listening to Dr. Tim. Um, I was a little late in the call, but he was saying some really amazing things um, about you know our true nature is love, and um, so I was like, yeah, that's that's where I want to. That's what I want to embrace is that aspect of myself. And um, another thing I wanted to talk to, but I know we're going to be running out of time um, in seven minutes. So (laughs) I don't know if it's enough time, but I really want to process this pain that I have in my body. And I... uh, I just don't even know where to start. You know, I really, I, I got into Dr. Joe Dispenza's work because of that. And you um, right. talked about David Bohm and, and coherence. And, you know, I've, I've read a little bit about D- David and um, listened to a couple things he's, he has said on YouTube. And, and, I, and I can relate to the, the coherence part. And Dr. Joe also, his... He encourages people to meditate because of that um, getting back into coherence, right? That when you can lower your brain waves and then the stuff that, you know, is in you comes up and you can process that and become aware of it. But his thing is like, you know, it comes up and you um, become aware of it and then you ground and breathe and then uh, you change right that's the word you're like change (laughs) 
Okay, well, uh, that hasn't changed me yet. (laughs) Well, again, it's a process. Have you watched the, uh, you know, Jeannie in the um, notes from the Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing Workshop this weekend included the link to the three-hour Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop on the forgiveness worksheet process. Have you watched that yet? Yes, I did watch that. I watched that on Sunday. And yesterday I listened to, yeah, I found this page on your site about our love um, workshop. And it was you process doing, going through the worksheet with a gentleman. I think his name was John. Um, It was living as love is better. So I, I listened to those two calls yesterday. And and which was, you know, good, right? Because he was really, he was uh, having that, he had surgery and there was some blockage in his brain, yes. that, some swelling. So, um, yeah, and then I was Yeah, that was a powerful thinking, worksheet. Yeah, that was. And he just did some amazing work uh, with you. And because like when, the, when he called, he's, you know, you're like, how you doing? And he's like... Not good at all. <laughs> right. He was very upset, you know, and, and he was really just looking at some really bleak um, potentials. And then to, you know, by the end of it, the two calls that you did with him, he was in just such a different place and talking about, you know, breathing into his heart chakra and, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed cool. that. So have yeah. you put the pen to the paper on uh, on the worksheet as yet? That's no, the next place I have not done that That's yet. Most, so that could be the most important place to go at this point. Okay. I will do that. And then as you do yeah. that, um, and you can do it through the app or you can just download the uh, the worksheet uh, from the website, as you do that, if questions come up, that's what we're here to support you in working through and, and comprehending that tool totally and completely. Okay. It is the core and the most important tool we teach. And yes. I think one of, the thing, one of the things I've observed over the years is that there's a lot of resistance to do that for people. And I think the reason is because there's an intuitive part of people that know what it is that they're going to have to face. And it sounds like you've tasted a little bit of it when you tapped into um, Wild Bill on the website, that story, Uh and what he was able to do within the concentration camps. And so it it sounds like there's going to be some heavy-duty stuff to move for you. And that's the most Uh profound way I know to move it. If you do that on a consistent, persistent basis, it's the only thing I know. I mean, I've watched other people over the years who fall into a modality that, you know, it changes things. In fact, Dr. Tim has shared, you know, several times on, on the show in the past, how as a clinical psychologist that he'd run into and hear about a psychologist or a psychiatrist that just got monumental results with people. 
So he went off and registered for their workshop and did it, and he and other psychologists couldn't produce the result that the this famous psychiatrist or psychologist was able to produce. Didn't matter how much they studied, they just couldn't do it. And the thing that really yeah. attracted him to this work and what he's offered is he can hand this worksheet that we've developed to anybody, and anybody can produce those results. All they have to do is put the pen to paper to do it. Uh-huh. So that would be my support. I'd invite you to, you know, when we when I finish a Why Is This Happening Can Me Again workshop, uh, I usually put out an invitation to people to make a, make a commitment to do five worksheets a day for the next 40 days. I'll put that challenge and that invitation out to you and see what happens with it. And the show's going to cut us off at any second. So, but go ahead, we'll go till the till it does actually cut us off. Um, well, I appreciate thought. all the information. I really loved the um, still point breath work. And I really appreciate all the notes that um, Jeannie put together and sent to me and all the resources. And I, I have that, you know, that whole page of all the different um, workshops and, and sheets that, you've, that were done with people in addiction. And so I'll be going through that. And so I just want to um, send my great, deepest appreciation and gratitude for um, you and Jeannie and all that you do. And... Um, You'll be hearing from me again, Sweet. and I will awesome. take on that five worksheets today. I will attempt it. All so right. Make my be- best effort. Yeah, yeah. So both of you, Very I cool. hope you have a beautiful day filled with love. All right. Thank you so Lots much. Lots of love and blessings. All okay. right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. All right. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world and blessings.